Well, this morning we return once again to the book of Psalms, and so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn with me to Psalm 118. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, this is kind of a summer excursion in the Psalter. Uh, Normally we preach through books of the Bible here at Ascension. In the summer, sometimes I take diversions in the Psalter uh, because I love the Psalms, and uh, they're a good series to go through, not necessarily sequentially, but just jumping all around. And so this morning we go to Psalm 118. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one on the back table or on the back cart. There are some Bibles available for you. This is a morning where it'd be good to have a Bible in your lap. The passage is going to appear and then it's going to disappear. But I'm going to be going back to it again and again, pointing things out this morning as we walk through this Psalm. Psalm 118, it is the exact middle of your Bibles. Fun fact, impress all of your Christian friends. Psalm 118, verse 8 is the exact middle of your Bible. I don't know why you need to know that information, but it's true. It is. 30,000 verses in the Bible, and if you go back into the center, anyway, it's uh, whatever. Psalm 118. We've looked at several Psalms in this series. I've tried to kind of produce a variety of different Psalms. And so I won't go through all the Psalms that we've looked at, but this morning we are looking at what would be termed a, a liturgical Psalm. It also is a Thanksgiving Psalm, as it will be make itself clear. But what that means is, like many other psalms in the Psalter, this was actively used in the worship of God's people, the nation of Israel. In fact, history tells us that this psalm had a significant place in the festal processions that took place during Passover. And today, Psalm 118 118 becomes our confession of praise. This is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It is an important psalm. Every one of the gospel writers quotes it at least one time. And what it teaches us this morning, what it reminds us this morning is something very simple, but something incredibly profound. I've said it already. I've prayed about it already. God is good. Full stop. End of discussion. That is our God, the God who we've sung praise to this morning, the God who we've humbled ourselves before this morning. He is good. And so we're called to recognize that and to give him thanks. And so I'm going to read Psalm 118 in its entirety. It is our tradition here at Ascension for you to stand for the reading of God's word if you're able. So I invite you to do that now with me. Psalm 118, all 29 verses Listen as I read. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. And the Lord answered me and He set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. 
In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live. And recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Is God really good? It's a fundamental question that we get from the world at times as Christians. We get challenged with that question. It's a question that our own hearts wrestle with and struggle to believe. We struggle to believe it because We've suffered too much. We struggle to believe it because there is too much evil around us. We struggle to believe it because honestly we can't imagine at times what in the world God might be doing if He is doing anything at all. We struggle to believe it because His goodness doesn't look like we think it should. But this, brothers and sisters, is the declaration of Scripture. That he is good. No matter how off axis your world or the world at large seems to be spinning, we must believe God's word and let it be the lens through which we interpret all of life and all of reality. And if you're wondering why we must believe God's word, that was last week's sermon. You need to go back and listen to that. This psalm doesn't give easy answers on why a good God allows suffering. This psalm isn't a philosophical musing on the question of of whether he is good. This psalm really is simply a worshipful meditation on the fact that he is, on who he is. And let me say this before we begin. He is good. God is good apart from any relationship or action to us. 
And what I mean by that is to manifest his goodness, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need you and me. He doesn't need actions towards us. God has been good for all of time, before time, for infinity past, in his Trinitarian essence. However, in his relationship with us, his goodness is on full display. And that's what Psalm 118 is all about. Last week, if you were here, was our celebration of of the goodness of God's word. This week is a celebration of his goodness as God. And so I want to walk through this psalm We could spend a lot of weeks in this psalm for sure, but I want to briefly walk through it, taking it in four bites, because this psalm gives us at least four reasons why he is good. Four reasons. I want to run through them and tie it all up at the end. And the first one really informs all of the truths to follow. It's verses one through four, and it's this. He is good because of his devotion to his people. God is good because of his devotion to his people. We start briefly here because this is the way the psalmist begins and ends with, with this wonderful Hebrew word that you've heard me talk about over and over again, the word chesed, translated here as steadfast love. This is the covenant faithfulness of Yahweh to his covenant people. It's his devotion to you and I here this morning. The whole psalm is going to recount for us, for the people of God, all that he has done in their midst, the tangible ways that he has expressed and declared his steadfast love to them, to us. And so this psalm is a corporate and personal testimony of sorts. As the writer gives evidence of God's care and Israel's experience is our experience. They were the old covenant people receiving God's chesed. We are the new covenant people receiving God's chesed. God has made you his own. That's why you're here this morning. God has brought you here. He has drawn you here. He has given you eyes to see him. And so give thanks for his devotion to you. It's his devotion then, his steadfast love for his people that drives the rest of the psalm. And so as we move on, he is good not only because he is devoted to you, he is good because of his presence with you. And this is really verses 5 through 9. God's presence with you. Some of you have had the experience of hiding behind a, a big brother or a big sister when you were bullied on the playground or being threatened in some way on the playground. The older brother comes up and says, is there a problem here? I didn't have a big brother, but I do have a pretty feisty mama. I may have told you this story before. I think some of you have heard it. One time when I was a young boy, an older kid up the street announced that he was going to beat me up at the bus stop in the morning. 
I went home and told my mom I wasn't happy about going to the bus stop. I was a scrawny little boy. And sure enough, this kid shows up at the bus stop with his karate suit on. I mean, come on. <laughs> he comes walking towards the bus stop with his karate suit on. Only problem is I had asked my mom if she would stand just at the end of the driveway, just within sight of the bus stop. And so he comes strutting down in his karate suit, takes a glance at me, takes a glance at my mom at the bus stop. End of discussion. She didn't even have to be physically by my side. It was enough, her presence. And the psalmist reminds us of the confidence we have when the Lord of creation, the sovereign God of the universe, is by our side. This is what he and the people declare in verses 6 and 7. What can man do to me? There's a little spring in his step. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. You see, in the most tangible of ways, Israel had Yahweh's presence in their midst. They literally had the Lord by their side. He had appeared in the pillar of cloud by day and in the pillar of fire by night. He had made his presence known on just about every battlefield that his people had set foot on. Israelites knew this and they relished in this fact. The other nations knew this and they feared this small, inconsequential nation of Israel as a result. Remember the comments of Rahab, resident of Jericho, As God's people came to Jericho, we read in Joshua 2, before the men lay down, she came up to the roof and said to the men, these are the spies that came into the city. I know that the Lord, Yahweh, has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. See, when God's people recounted this and when they internalized this reality that they had the Lord's presence with them, their perspective changed. Our perspective changes as well. Of course, we don't have the Lord by our side in military conquest as it was for the nation of Israel. But he is here. He is with his people. He is faithfully, devotedly watching over you and I with his sovereign hand. His presence is with us. He is good because he is with you. To the very end of the age, Jesus said, he is good because his spirit never leaves you. So why should we fear? We can ask the same question. Why should we fear, even in tangible areas of our life that we stress about, like like finances and contentedness, we need not fear. Listen to the book of Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? The worst thing man can do to you and me is death. But even death has lost its sting. And that leads us to the next section. He is good because he gives 
strength. Verses 10 through 18, this seems to be the theme of these verses in 10 through 18 as the excitement of the writer of the psalm, this leader of the procession builds and builds. It's like recounting an exciting story. Man, you should have, you should have seen it. You just wouldn't believe. Oh, and then we saw this. Four times he speaks of the nations surrounding him. Three times he recounts them being cut off in the name of the Lord. And this rich imagery that we find so often in this altar, he recounts what was a, likely a historical battle in the life of God's people. Bees, he compares the army to. Bees brings to mind the number of those that surrounded him and the threat that they were ready to inflict. The speed of their travel he likens to the spread of a fire among thorns, quick and unrelenting. And yet deliverance came in the form of Yahweh's right hand, the hand of strength, the hand of power, the hand of deliverance. Brothers and sisters, God is still the protector and deliverer of his people. He still works for the good of those who love him. He has not forgotten us. He has not forgotten you. In the fire, in the flood, in the valley, in the opposition, he is good because he gives strength. And so we're called to have the same perspective as the psalmist in verse 18. Some of the hardship, they may be for my own good, but he still wants me to go on living for him. I will give thanks for being my strength. Now real practically, this, this reason, this reality, and, and the one before it as well, his presence. How do we so often experience the presence of God? How do we so often experience the strength of God. Well, I would argue, as I've argued in other places, that in part through, through you, through, through this gathering, through, through the church, through you being the hands and feet and, and mouthpiece of Jesus. In those times when, when God admittedly feels distant, his strength for me, and I think for you too, comes so often through his people, through the gift of the church. Even Moses needed his arms held up. When you don't have the faith, when you don't have the strength, we find his strength through his people. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here because you're here, but that's why you need to be here. That's why you need to linger a little bit. Let some people talk to you and encourage you and even pray with you this morning. Well, one last section and point from Psalm 118. He is good because he saves. Verses 19 through 29. You, you need to see in your mind's eye where, where all of this culminates. Remember, God's people are processing towards the temple in the opening verses. And then in verses 19 and 20, they, they come to the gates of God's house. They're looking at the walls of the temple, the giant stones that have been placed together to build this giant structure, verse 22. And then finally, in verse 26, they have found themselves in the Lord's house. And there's nothing left to do except for the most important thing that needs to be done. 
the majesty all around them, the holiness that they feel in this place, the righteousness of the God that they've come to worship, their own filthiness. They need cleansing, which is why the psalmist says, bind up the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. This is where the the thanksgiving and the obedience of God's covenant people culminates. God's salvation has been seen in the most tangible of ways. They've recounted it as they've walked together. And now they're ready to worship. So how does this fit into our experience as God's people here in 2022 in Edmonds, Washington? The answer is Jesus. Yahweh's devotion, Yahweh's strength, Yahweh's presence, Yahweh's salvation are all on full display in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is here all over this psalm. We see Him in verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Peter quoted this in Acts chapter 4. Paul picks it up when he writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus, rejected by His own, has become the most crucial part of the building. The stone that holds it all together. The stone that without it, nothing would stand. We see Him in verses 25 and 26. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. That was the chant of the crowds in Matthew 21 as Jesus processed into Jerusalem. And they said, Hosanna, save us to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And we see Him in verse 27. The Lord is God and He has made His light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. John confessed in John 8, Jesus proclaimed Himself as John recounts it, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the festal sacrifice, once bound up with cords and placed upon the altar, has now been once for all nailed and put on the cross. You see, brothers and sisters, Psalm 118 is about God's goodness. And the definitive proof of God's goodness is Jesus. And so what is our response this morning? Well, it's in part to fight against the temptation to question God's goodness. As the people of the Old Covenant remembered God's salvation, we The people of the new covenant remember God's salvation in Jesus. As the people of the old covenant look forward to the coming of the Messiah, we as people of the new covenant look forward to the second coming of our Lord Jesus. As they worshiped and were changed, so are we. And so my encouragement to you this morning through Psalm 118, through looking at Psalm 118, through the lenses of Jesus, who brings it into fullness. My encouragement is to let His goodness transform you. Let God's goodness transform your life of following Jesus. Remind one another of His goodness when we're fearful, when we're anxious, 
when we're grumbling, when we're discontent. Remind one another of His good gifts, of His heart of goodness towards us. When we're tempted to believe the lie that He is not good and that there is something better out there that we ought to be pursuing, that we ought to be chasing. Let His goodness in Jesus remind you that He is not holding out on you. But He has given you the fullness of His heart for you. Life is hard. It is. But our God is good. So give thanks for His goodness. That's our confession today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for this meditation, this song that Your people sang for generations, recounting the tangible ways that You had cared for them, that You had been by their side, that You had given strength when it seemed that all strength was gone. Father, as we come to this psalm as new covenant people, as those on this side of the cross, we thank You most of all for Jesus and for how Your devotion and Your presence is shown to us most clearly in the person of Jesus. And we long for You, Lord Jesus, to return to make all things right. To show the world that indeed You are good. There is no other. Father, I pray that You would take this Word, these simple realities, and use them this day and this week in the lives of Your people that indeed Your Word would not return to You void, but would accomplish all You intend for it to accomplish this day. Father, we give You thanks. For You are good. And Your steadfast love endures forever. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.